not in the destination. Father, today we come to you because our desire is to hear from you. And we ask that you might speak to us clearly through your word and allow us a privilege by the power of your Holy Spirit to not just acknowledge you, but to be transformed. Let that happen today as we yield our lives to you now. Speak, speak, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night I was at the Shannons, Don and Jill Shannon, 60, 65, and 35. 35 is the anniversary, 65 is, is the age, and 60 is the other age, all right? So wasn't that great? We had a great time. There they are. Stand up, you guys. Stand up. See ah, That was fun. But what we did is we, we took a look at their journey of life, and we started off with this amazing picture of the wedding where Don was like 15 years old. I looked at this guy, and I thought, I know his background, that he'd been involved in circus structures, that he'd been involved in a war, he'd been involved in all these things, and he looked like a 15-year-old. The journeys that he had taken at that point in time had brought him to the place he was at and changed his life in such a way that as he's looking at his wife-to-be, now 35 years back, he can say, I'm sure glad I took that step. And that was some of his final words as he knelt before her and said, you know, it's been such a wonderful journey, and I wanted to continue. I'm looking forward to years and years ahead, and uh, I look forward to hearing more about it as it comes into play. Costa Rica, etc. What a great thing. See you guys involved in missions, uh, and everyone loves you so much from your other areas. Wonderful to see workers who come in and say, we love this woman. She loves the Lord. We know it, and we're so impressed by her life and her love for others. You see... We're called to be on a journey, and the journey is about making disciples. It's about learning how to love one another, to love God, to be involved in our community, to serve, to care, to be light and salt in such a way that people begin to wonder and respond to the reality of who Jesus is and what he can do in our lives. Now, sometimes we forget that this whole thing began some 2,000 years ago with 12 men who gathered together their wives and their friends and a variety of other family, and 120 of them were motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they spoke out, and they began what we call the church. And the book of Acts is about that church. It's about a a group of people who continue to experience momentous change in their life. People who serendipitous changes take place. That means changes they never expected. It just kind of happens over and over and over again. And the book of Acts is about these momentum-changing experiences that literally change the entire world. Literally change the entire world. Uh, last week, you guys were talking in James about prayer and the power of prayer, how, how incredibly powerful prayer can be, how perspicacious prayer can be, how it changes everything, that the prayer of a righteous Christian, brothers and sisters, brings about momentum-changing experiences. And that when you're involved in this powerful prayer, you get to experience those things on a regular basis. And then James moves on, and it's a verse we have for today. And if you've got your outlines with you, you want to pull it out. It says, my brothers and sisters, 
if any of you should wander from the faith, from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Remember where he's coming from. He's talking about the power of prayer and how God brings about incredible things. Then he says, for some of you, some of your loved ones have wandered away from the truth. And as I looked at it, I thought, he's talking to parents whose children have slipped away and have begun to wander. Now he'd say he's talking to grandparents who are praying regularly and consistently for their grandchildren that they might come back and experience the wonder of God in their lives. That's what James is saying. He's saying, as you pray for your son and your daughter, as you pray for your granddaughter and your grandson, as you pray for those loved people around you, God will do an amazing thing and bring them back and you'll be able to see them change from death to life. The journey that your children are on, the journey that you're on, is about this process of bringing people into connection with God, our Father, with Jesus, our Lord, with the Holy Spirit who transforms us. James is trying to remind us that the power that brings them in is not your persuasion, but it is your prayers. It is your prayers. So that's the beginning of this concept or idea that I wanted to talk about today. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. And Acts 16 begins with a story about a man praying that Paul sees in a vision. Now, this is what's going on. Paul is involved in this mission process. He's starting to plant churches throughout the world. And one by one by one, he's following God's directive for him. And he finds himself wanting to go into Asia, but it says the Holy Spirit stopped him from doing it. The Holy Spirit stopped him from going into Asia. And then it says, I'm not sure where to go. It says Paul and, and Silas and Luke and perhaps Timothy were together and they're going, we're not sure where to go next. We're not sure where you're directing us to, Father. We're Unaware of exactly what to do. Let's take a look at the text here in Acts 16. Acts 16. Starting with verse 8. You guys going to have that? Acts 16, starting with verse 8. It says, So they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision. It was a man in Macedonia who was standing and begging him, Please, come over to Macedonia. And help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, that was a tough conclusion, wasn't it? I've been waiting for a variety of visions. God says, okay, Lee, I want you to go here. Rarely does God give me a vision. He does it in a variety of other ways. We'll talk about that today because the Lord is sending Mary and I back to Minnesota. Really? Yeah, that's what we're doing. And I'm excited about it. <laughs> From Troas, we put out to sea. We sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Annapolis. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days, and on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. There we expected to find a place of prayer where people gathered together, and we sat down, and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of them listening to us was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. She's a dealer in purple cloth. She, she dealt with the uh, high-end groups of people. She might say she was kind of out of uh, Los Angeles, high-end materials, selling, uh, what, what would they call those shoes? Chews or something like that? Jimmy Choo, yeah, is crazy expensive stuff. That's what she's dealing with. Crazy expensive, only dealt with emperors, high-end people, okay? She's a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart. She responded to Paul's message, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited them to her home, and she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. She persuaded us, and once When we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This is an interesting picture. Paul finds himself drawn out in a vision, okay? Acts 16 says he had a vision. The man says, I need you to come down to Macedonia, clarifying that God intended to bring about some amazing, pivotal, momentum-changers in Philippi, in Philippi. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen. He just knows something amazing and incredible is going to take place. Uh, As you walk to the book of Acts, something you notice is Paul rarely expects things to take place. They just seem to in the least reliable moments. In the time when you think, This is the worst thing that could ever happen. That seems to be when God shows up powerfully and does these incredible momentum changers. It's kind of like Super Bowl football, okay? They're moving along and you're saying, this game's over. And suddenly something happens. Everything changes. And before you know it, somebody wins who you didn't want to win that you never thought could win. But it happens. And you think to yourself, how could that happen? They always say, for the first time ever... Yeah, 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 for the first time ever, something changed. Something so incredibly powerful that you begin to wonder what's going on. Um, In my life, I find periodically God does these amazing things, and there's a convergence of all these different situations and circumstances, intentions, financial, providential things take place. A bunch of accidents seem to happen all at once. And all of a sudden, after all these variety of things happen over months and months, and then boom, a momentum change, what I call kind of a, a Romans 8.28 moment happens. You know, God causes all things to work together for good. It's like, whoa. And we say, that was a God thing. Don't you? Now we say, that was a God thing. In the midst of this journey that we have, God suddenly shows up in an incredible way, and we all have these, you know, uh, little 
quick leans on our neck. We kind of go, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look what God is. Something's happening here. There's something weird going on. And, and, and the, our hair stands up on our neck. And we're sitting there going, oh, my goodness, Lord. What, what is happening here? And we watch something spectacular take place in our lives and the lives of people around us. It almost always takes place when we least expect it. We kind of see it coming, but we, we forgot. And then this boom thing happens here. Now, I've got a term for it now. It's called a goat rodeo. You can't, yeah, it's called a goat rodeo. Now, what is a goat rodeo? Actually, goat rodeo, it, it, it's a group of guys who got together uh, who are phenomenal musicians. They gather together from bluegrass to classical, and they said, you know, let's do something that's truly unique. And they weren't sure how it was going to work. And they said, so let's put together this incredibly difficult musical presentation. And we'll begin to work on it. And then each of us, whenever we feel led, just kind of go off the chart and let something happen that we know will never happen again because we don't know what we did. But we want to see it take place. He said, we call it a goat rodeo because if you ever go to a goat rodeo, that's what happens. Everything goes all over the place. You never know what's going to take place. So they gathered together and they put together this musical thing. I've got a little clip on it, a little, about one minute. Let's take a look at that real quickly where he tries to help us understand this interesting phenomenon that they call a, a goat rodeo. <laughs> You're getting an idea. These incredible musicians who gather together and say there is something that's beyond who we are and we want to see it happen, but the only way we can see it happen is if something miraculous takes place. If something outside of ourselves comes into this situation and allows us to experience what we would call the hand of God. I call it a Romans 8, 28 moment where all things work together for good. All things merge together for good. We experience this momentum change, a song with planned notes and intuitive responses. You can never duplicate it. It just is what it is. In Acts 16... Paul gets ready to experience just that. It's exactly what happens to him. He finds himself being called by prayer to something that God has in mind, and he's not sure exactly what it is. It starts off in the beginning with a great 4-4 simplistic note structure. He shows up. He goes down to the river where there's a place of prayer, a normal place. He begins to share with some people. They receive Jesus as Lord, and they begin to establish the house church of Philippi. Begin to establish the house church of Philippi. Now, in this story, there are three different scenes that I want you to look at, three different scenes. The first one is the ship scene. The second one's the river scene. And the last one's the prison scene. So there's a ship scene a river scene, and a prison scene. We just walk through the ship scene. The problem is proclaimed, and the prayers of the Macedonian man are answered by Paul. So he finds himself in the midst of this wonderful development of church planning. He's enjoying 
God moving. He's seeing incredible things take place. Paul is pumped. Luke is excited. Silas is like going, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Remember, this is the first church ever. There's never been a church in Philippi. Never been anything. Here they are, beginning to develop it. They're like, look what God is doing. They're so excited. They're, they're just overwhelmed by the presence and the power of God. And they're experiencing this going, wow, this is really great. Then something takes place. So the end of the ship scene, the prayers are being answered. And we find ourselves down at the river, in the river scene. It starts off wonderful. Starts off incredible. This group of people uh, begin to respond to Christ, receive him as Lord and Savior, and the church is beginning to be planted. But then something else begins to happen. Paul goes back down to the river, and they're gathering more and more of their friends in. So you've invited your friends, you've invited your friends in. There's a big group of people down there, and they're coming down here every day now. It's beginning to be the thing to go see. Let's go down and see Paul and Silas at the river. So here they go down, but the problem begins to develop. Let's take a look at this next verse of Scripture that comes into play here, starting with verse 16. Starting with verse 16, I think it is. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you, come out of her. Okay, let's take the scene back. Paul is going down to the river and suddenly he's being joined by this slave girl who happens to have a spirit of prophecy in her that she's able to fortune tell and this particular group of owners are making a lot of money from her. She comes alongside and she decides she's going to become a foreteller for Paul And Silas saying, hey, here's the newest thing. Here's the newest thing. Now, here's the problem. Paul's saying, we're not the newest thing. This isn't the latest gadget. This isn't something that we're we're just talking about because we're supposed to talk about it. This is reality. This is Jesus who died for your sins. This is the wonder of God coming into your midst. And this slave girl is driving me crazy. Paul is annoyed. He's upset. He's angry. He says, okay, up to this point in time, I've put up with this. I'm going down to the river. She's making her statement. We're basically ignoring it. I'm hoping that it will go away. Have you ever feel that way about somebody you know? Hoping it'll go, they're just going to go away. Please, Lord, let them go away. She doesn't go away. She keeps showing up, and she gets more and more powerful and more and more annoying. And finally, she says, this is it. And he calls out and says, hey, Come out of her spirit. Now, this is not part of the planned song, and Paul knows it. Paul says, things are going really well, and I have a bad feeling about this. Okay, we're kind of into the force area here. I have a very bad feeling about this. He responds to the spirit. The spirit comes out of the person, and suddenly everything begins to change. Now, now, why didn't he do this earlier? Probably because of what's going to happen right now. Paul's aware of what's going to take place when he takes away the income of some people. When you begin to deal with people's financial situations in relationship to what is right or what is wrong, you can expect to have some strong responses in a negative way towards you. It's going to take place when you call them out for whatever reason in this area. So now the song begins to take off 
some chaos. Goat rodeo begins to happen. Okay? So what happens here? It says these prominent owners come in, and it says you are breaking the law. The result, he's imprisoned, he's beaten, he's condemned. They're put into stocks and placed into an inner prison area, and they begin to say, Lord, what's going on here? And that's the end of the river scene. River scene's done. We find Paul in the next step. Let's take a look at this next thing that happens. She followed Paul, the rest of them shouting, you go on through. They brought them before the magistrates, and they said, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. They were stripped, and they were beaten with rods. Let's flip on to the next section here. So... Paul and Silas have gone from being down at the river, sharing the message, experiencing this wonderful response of people of love and care, and we're having hugs and kisses, and now they're being beaten with rods and whips. This is quite a change in their experience, and they recognize that God has something specific planned here that they had never experienced. I call it goat rodeo time. You see, suddenly... They're on the other end of the stick. Suddenly, things are getting dark and questionable. Suddenly, it's not all fun and games. Suddenly, it's not the wonderful power and presence of God. Instead, it's darkness and evil triumphing over good. And they're experiencing the cross of Jesus. And they're being nailed to that cross. They're shocked at first because it comes out of nowhere. But then Paul begins to understand what is taking place. And after they had been severely flogged, after they'd been severely flogged, the jailer puts them into stocks. Let's look at this next little section of scripture starting with the text. When he had received the orders, he put them in the inner cell. He fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. Of course, that's what we do when we get put into stocks and beaten. We start singing and praising him. We bring in Pete and say, hey, Pete, lead us in the worship time. We're all excited about this opportunity. The reality is most of us go... Lord, why am I here? What's going on? I was at the river. People were coming to know you. Now I'm in the prison. But Paul and Silas have this insight. And they're going, you know something? I think God is changing the verses in the song. And we intuitively need to respond to him and cry out to God for help. And then praise him for bringing that in. They begin to sing these hymns and songs. And the prisoners are listening to them. And suddenly, there's this violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaken. All the prison doors fly open. Everyone's chains come loose. The jailer wakes up. He sees the prison doors open. He draws a sword. He's about to kill himself. Because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But suddenly, Paul cries out to him. Paul cries out to him. About 
midnight. So now we're in this prison scene. There's prisoners, there's prison, and there's praise beginning to take place. Oddly enough, it doesn't talk about hymns of praise at the river. While they're seeing people come to know Christ, it talks about hymns of praise here in the prison where it seems like the worst possible place that Paul and Silas could be. There's some wonderful songs out that I enjoy so much. There's one that talks about the creation. It's a great song that's floating around now, and it talks about the fact that, you know, when God speaks, the entire world starts coming into play, that he speaks and stars come into place, that he speaks and the animals come into play, that he speaks and man and woman come into play, that he speaks. All these incredible things take place billions and billions and billions of times. And that's the song that Paul really wants to hear. But the song he's hearing right now is another one. It's one that we know. It's called Blessings. I don't know if you've heard it or not. The song kind of goes like this. Perhaps all the struggles and difficulties and pain that are taking place in your life are actually the biggest blessing that God is trying desperately to pour into your life, that these are the blessings, not the new car, not the house, not all the great things that we going, thank you, Lord, so much. No, no, the blessings are the persecutions and the questions. They're the fortunate to our knees as we pray for our children and say, Lord, I am so frightened for them. They've slipped away from you. They don't understand your call anymore. They speak as if they don't know you at all. And as we cry out on our knees, God says, these are my blessings that I'm pouring into your life so you might grab a hold of the kingdom of God and recognize that it's far more important than this kingdom here. And these two have discovered the blessing song. And as they discover this blessing song, they begin to look at this prison and the prisoners and the chains. They start crying out to God and say, God, you have brought us here and you have blessed us in powerful ways. And we expect you to do something incredible, something we didn't expect. And the music begins to change again. And intuitively, it changes in this glorious direction of God, a declaration of the Holy Spirit, and he pours out in such a way that the earthquake goes right into the prison. There's no indication there was anywhere else, by the way. It hits the prison area, and it says it removes the chains from the prisoners' areas. Paul and Silas are set free from their stocks. This are you kidding me thing is happening and the prisoners have been listening to the song before the earthquake takes place. In comes the jailer. In comes the jailer. The jailer sees what's happened, knows that everybody left because there's no way the prisoner's going to stay after they've been released. They almost have left. He takes out his sword and gets ready to kill himself because he knows that the Romans will kill him and his entire family for this taking place. And as he gets ready to thrust the sword into his side, Paul cries out, stop. We're all here. We're all here. And then the jailer, who apparently was listening as well, said, what the words? What must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? Paul, what is necessary for me to be saved? And Paul cries out to him and says, Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your whole household will be saved. And he does at that point in time, takes them home, 
His household responds as well. He cleans up their wounds. He baptizes the entire family. They're rejoicing with him, feeding him a meal, taking chances because he's still supposed to be in jail. And as they eat together and the sun comes up in the morning, suddenly someone comes over from the magistrates and says, we made a mistake. We made a mistake. You need to let Paul and Silas go. They should never have been put in the position that they were put in. Again, affirming the fact that this was goat rodeo time. This was God manipulating a series of circumstances and situations to bring about a greatest good that none of us expected would take place. A great good in Philippi, a great good in the prison, a great good for Christianity. Because then Paul turns to him and says, hold it just a minute. No, no, no. You're not telling us to go. You come out here and you apologize for what you've done. You make it clear to all the citizens of Philippi that not only are Christians people with their act together, but you will honor us as men of character and of proper conduct. The magistrates do so. They come to him. They say, we're so sorry. Please forgive us. He said, that's fine. They said, will you leave now? He said, no. First, I'm going back to the church. I'm going to share with them, talk to the entire city about this whole area. Then we'll leave. He does so. The result is the conduct of the church glorifies God as opposed to putting God in a negative point, which it happened just prior to this. It glorifies God. His name is honored And all these Philippian prisoners become storytellers of how God set them loose on this marvelous, incredible night where Paul and Silas and Luke were involved in praising and praying to God, and the earthquake happened. Goat rodeo. Goat rodeo time. I just, I am so impressed by how God works specifically in specific ways. Changes lives in remarkable manners so that each of us can experience God in our journeys at specific times with specific hurts and specific pains and problems so that he can go, hey, watch me take this song and improvise it, and turn it into a declaration. So it becomes a, I can only imagine song, which is a declaration of a young man's pain and hurt of abuse from his father, and it turns into a declaration of the entire church where we find ourselves singing this song, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And we begin to picture heaven itself. That's the wonderful, incredible, majestic power of God to turn a song of blessing into a song of creation and put the two together until they become the same so that the pain in our life becomes the very thing that brings about perfection in our life in those few moments that it happens. 
And we go, oh my goodness, look what God did. You see, it's not about the destinations, it's about the journey. It's not about destinations, it's about the journey. So we find ourselves, as Paul finishes up, kind of back on track. He finishes up at Philippi, they leave for Berea and continue on the mission that God has set them on and they experience yet another amazing story. It'll take place if you read Acts 17. You'll read another one and go, oh my goodness. Look what God is doing. And my question to you is, what's your story look like? What's your journey look like? Because what I've experienced over and over again, I've been away from you guys for a year. It's so good to see you again. (laughs) is God doing amazing things and putting into place little stuff here, little stuff here, pain, oh, struggle, oh, Lord, really? Back to goat rodeo time. Oh, oh, look what God did. Look how he's beginning to put it together. In the midst of blessings that are so painful, he brings about incredible creation that is so glorious that we forget the pain. It's kind of like birth. At least that's what my wife says. (laughs) So let me finish up the thoughts here as we're done with the whole message as such. Uh, We're back here today, and I want to get a little bit personal now. After retiring from Lighthouse last year on July 3rd, my last thing was uh, with the Earls doing a wedding on July 3rd. We did the wedding. We left. We drove away. We kind of, oh, okay. This is it. Waving goodbye. Drove off to Arizona. It was 115. <laughs> Our cat got out of the car and went, you brought us to hell. <laughs> it's Arizona, you know. <laughs> Poor kitty. It was, it was rough on Fiona. She had a tough one. That was so hard on her, you know. But we got, we got to Arizona, and Mary and I settled down. We said, okay, what has God got in mind for us here? And we began to pray, and I said, and I said, Lord, you know, we've been at this 40 years, and I would love one year off. Now, I know who my boss is, okay? So the Lord's my boss, and I said, Lord, I'd just like one year off. My wife said, amen, just one year off, Lord. I said, okay, good. So we got down praying. We felt affirm the Lord said, I'm going to give you a year off. We said, okay, great. So then we started on the mission. That's what I call the mission. That's the process where we began to invite our neighbors. We found a church we really liked, began to invite our neighbors to it, began to share with people about the Lord. I got involved in golf clubs, had all this fun. My golf game, I'm down to an eight handicap. It's like, yes, Lord, this is so much fun. And I'm able to bring these guys and talk to them about the Lord. It's like everybody goes, oh, we got a pastor on the golf course. Everybody comes over. I go, this is incredible. I thought this could happen, but I didn't know about it because I've always been with the church. And everybody's scared of the pastor at the church, so they don't do anything. But when you're out in the golf course, everybody wants to talk to you and share with you and find out, what is this God thing? What is this God thing all about? And you get to share with them outside of a church structure. So we... um, Finished praying, continuing this process. We got involved in Bible study. We were involved in serving ministries. We were just having a ball at this church called Compass Church here, uh, located in Goodyear, Arizona, enjoying it greatly. Um, Mary and I were kind of stirred at, right after we got here, and that was we were stirred to say, okay, the Lord seems to be moving us towards a ministry that's called IPM. 
IPM is called Interim Pastoral Ministries. And what happened is I was sitting with her. We said, well, what does the Lord want us to do next? And the last words that I got here from Ray Markley as I left, he turned to me and he said, he said, Lee, you have one more church plan on you. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, but I may have something else entirely. So Mary and I prayed. We got together. We looked at this IPM thing. We, my daughter calls us up and she says, Dad, they got this special thing in our church. Our pastor just resigned and they brought in a new guy and he's from... IPM. I said, really? Yeah, it's from IPM, and this looks like a ministry that would be absolutely perfect for you and mom. I went, really? Started to feel like a goat rodeo, going, uh-oh. Uh-oh, I wonder what God's going to do. So we began to pull it together, and she's, I said, okay, well, we'll look at it kind of down the line here, and there's a special seminar you have to go to be involved in. I said, yeah, well, it's going to be here in Arizona in August. My wife said, well, there's one in January in Florida. And I said, yeah, but it's going to be in August in Arizona, and it's free. I don't just go right down. I'm not cheap. I'm just frugal. And she said, you know something, honey? I feel so strongly that the Lord wants us to go to the seminar here in January. I'll make that our anniversary trip. I said, really? She said, yep. So we said, okay. Anniversary trip it is. We went down to Florida, went to the seminar. She went with me to the whole thing. We got done. Uh, got through it all. We were looking at each other and said, man, this is really difficult what they're asking you to do in a year. Incredibly difficult. My wife said, yeah, but you can do it. And the two of us together, we can do it really well. I said, yeah, I think you're right. But I'm just, just not sure there. And then the Lord gave us a little break. We went down to the beach and had a wonderful time. Got through the beach. Came back home. I said, okay, put everything together. Send it in. Uh, talked to the various people involved there. The board of directors voted us, made us part of what's called IPM, Interim Pastoral Ministries. So I said, great, life is good, went about my golf, yay, you know, <laughs> I said, Lord, call me whenever you want me, you know, and so I was, <laughs> I'm on the grains, and, and my daughter calls up, Joy's always in the midst of this stuff, right? She calls up, Mary, and she says, well, did Tom get a hold of you? Tom is our boss, Dr. Harris, and I said, no, she said, well, you need to call him. I said, I'm not going to call him, he's going to call me. Okay, I'll send him an email. So I sent him an email and said, hey, Tom, we did want to let you know that we're ready whenever you want us to. I know we've done all the necessary things, but if you have something coming up and you need somebody, we're available. He calls me the next day. I have something for you. What's with joy? He says, I've got this ministry. I know it's not in the southwest where you're supposed to be going, but it's a situation I think would be perfect for you. It's in a place called Avon, Minnesota. <laughs> Lord, I gave 11 years to my life in Minnesota. I got to go back? This is what the Lord said. Goat rodeo. Really? Really? I said, yep. So we went through the process, shared with them, and they're in a devastating situation. The church there, it's a great church. Their pastor went into some problems and issues. Oh, so we shared with the elder board, got all together, and they called us back. At the, actually, it was the last day in June. We're at Mary's birthday. We're doing a little Prescott rodeo thing. It wasn't goat rodeo, it was the real rodeo. So we were at the rodeo, and they called on the phone, Hey, Pastor Lee. Da, 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 da. I said, Okay. And so they said, We would like you to come to Avon. I went, Gee, Lord. You know, really? It was short by four days, you know? She so said, Oh, but we need to gather together as a big group and, and share together on it. So we'll call you. They called me on the 15th and said, Yep, we want you to come. 
So Mary and I are heading off to Avon, Minnesota in two weeks. On the 20th, we'll begin a new ministry there and see what God has in mind for us and intends for us. Now, I tell you that story not just to let you all know, though some of you did, but to remind you that God is constantly in the midst of our journeys, trying to bring us to the place where he can let us experience Romans 8.28, greatest good moments. Greatest good moments. Where you have these incredible recognitions by the Holy Spirit where he touches you and you go, oh Lord, that's our next step. That's our next journey. That's what he's calling us to do. Momentum changer. (laughs) Boy, is it ever. Serendipitous. God moments. How many of you want to be involved in that? You're going to have to put up with a lot of pain and problems and perseverance, but if you're willing, if you're willing, if you're willing to go through the go rodeo, I'll allow you to experience being in the prison and the earthquake happening. How many of you want to be in that prison when the earthquake happened? I didn't want to be there in the beatings, but I wanted to be there when the earthquake happened. Wow, Lord, what an incredible, wondrous declaration of God. So, so what do you do if you want to be involved in God's journeys? What do you do? Let me give you four simple things that are written out on your little outline there just to remind you of it. One is you've got to be going to the regular place of prayer. Paul was doing the right thing. He was doing the right thing in the right way at the right time when God put him in a position where he's going to experience a lot of pain and persecution and then the providence of God in a spectacular way. And God calls to all of us, me included, Mary and I, so we're involved, to be involved in a mission. We're supposed to be making disciples. We're supposed to be loving people. We're supposed to be loving our neighbors. We need to be involved in our church gathering so God can speak to us on the way there and while we're there. Secondly, you need to learn to filter life situations through your mission. What am I supposed to do? Where am I to serve? What is my mission? To lead lost people to a relationship with Jesus and guide believers to a life of purpose with them. That's all we do. That's all we do. But you've got to be involved. You've got to be involved in that journey. And when you're in the dark times and there's hospitals and financial breakdown and family issues, you choose to pray and you sing. And you say, Father, please help me here. I think of Robin in the midst of a situation recently. Am I back on here? Yeah, I am. Okay, good. Where well, we were praying for her son. And we go, that's, that's what this is all about. It's about us being involved in one another's lives so that we can see God do miraculous things and have those God moments. That's what needs to happen. When you're in the dark times, when everything begins to break down, those are the moments when we wait for an earthquake. God, bring an earthquake and set us free. And he does on a regular basis. And perhaps the most simplest thing, have a meal with somebody who's recently encountered God. That's what Paul does after the earthquake happens. He goes over to the jailer's home and says, hey, let's eat. (laughs) 
Let's eat. And if you know a new Christian, go sit down with them. Share with them about the wonder of Jesus, and it'll be renewed in you. And you'll go, oh, my goodness, I'd almost forgotten how wonderful it is to walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this chance today to remind us through Paul's story of your calling in our lives that we're called to a journey not a destination. And the journey keeps changing. It's like, Lord, just when I got to one place, you go, okay, now it's time. And we move to the next. And that's what life is about. And I pray for each person here, Lord, some of who have never responded to you truly as Lord, who are sitting back and afraid. And Lord, I ask that you would take away their fear and replace it with faith. And that today will be the day in which they say, Lord, I want to go on the journey. Oh, what is he doing? I want to go on the journey. And we'll thank you, Father. Oh, my gosh. As you do that, as you work there, and as you declare your presence and your power, even now. Hey, with that being said, we're going to take an offering here as we close up the service. So we ask the ushers to come down, get those offering things. And those of you that... Um, have been directed by the Lord to give something and to give something. Those of you who are the guests need to be still. Okay? Don't give anything. This is for our members because we love to give. I love to give. It honors God and it brings Him pleasure and it brings us pleasure. So if the Lord's telling you to give, then you need to give something that's just passed by. Go ahead and pass that, guys. And we're going to sing a song and close out our time together, rather like uh, Paul did. Do a little prayer and a little praise and rejoice over what He has done and who he is.